Hi, I'm Ellen. You're listening to Inner Light with Ellen, and I'm your host. I thanks, thank you for joining us today. Today's um, a short episode, and I'm talking with you about a phrase my dad always said to me as a kid. And the phrase was, life is 90% work and 10% play. And I was in pretty big resistance to it for a lot of my life. But, you know, now at 40, I am in a really different position than I was when I was, you know, like a 10-year-old or a teenager. And it's it's interesting to just have some different perspective on it and and still not line up exactly with, you know, what he was saying and uh, take it a little bit further than that. I also dive in today on the difference between resignation and allowing and then why the word yet is probably one of the most important words we should all be using more often to give us more space for creativity and creation. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode and uh, thank you for listening. So my dad had a saying when I was growing up and he would say, in like the most uh, inspiring of ways, life is 90% work and 10% play. And I don't, I don't remember the context in which he would say that to me, but he was a pretty um, black and white point of view kind of parent kind of person. He still is today. Um, he has a little bit more space for listening to my point of view simply because of, you know, 40 years of me pushing back to say, but let me tell you what I think. <laughs> and, um, I think that kind of explains mostly the nature of my relationship with my dad. And, um, the, the, the way that he talks about that though, especially now that I'm, you know, I am 40 and I'm a parent and I have two kids and there's a lot of work in my life. And I always wish that there was more play and there's more play in my life for sure than my dad ever allowed for his own self. I think he has some more of it now that he's retired. Um, but but I, I mean, I, I grew up with a parent who was basically a workaholic. Um, he worked all the time. And if he was at home, he was most often in his office um, doing some kind of work. I don't, I never know really what he was doing, but he was just always in there or he was, you know, tinkering. He also tinkered a fair amount, like in the garage and stuff. Um, but th- that's what he did. He worked. My dad's life was work. And it, um, I think it helps a little to know more about him. Um, he grew up in a 10 person family or 12, if you count the parents, but 10 siblings. And he was the second of the 10. And he did go to work really young. He started working when he was 11 years old, selling. This feels like such a such a tale from a time of yore, but he was 11 years old selling newspapers on street, a street corner in Chicago back in the 1950s. My dad was born in uh, 1944. And so, yeah, and life was really different. You know, they did not have a lot of money. Um, my grandfather was a machinist, I think at a book bindery. I think it was Rand McNally. I'm not sure if that's like in Chicago, but that's sort of the story I have in my mind. So I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, he was a machinist. So my grandfather was like an amazing tinkerer also knew how to fix any kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he was the one working. And then my grandmother was at home in um, in this house. And I think they actually, it was like one of those three-story townhome kind of things that they had. They're not attached, right? But they're, they're three-story houses in like um, Chicago and um, like walking distance probably to Wrigley Stadium at the time. And um, 
they rented out the top floor. So the, the huge family was on the bottom two floors or they rented out one of the floors and something like that. So they didn't even have all the space to themselves and they worked and, you know, and everyone went to private Catholic school and, um, my dad's, my dad didn't, didn't get to save his earnings from selling newspapers and went right to paying for his siblings and his own education or contributed to that. And maybe he got to keep like a tiny portion of it, like a quarter or whatever a quarter would have been worth, might've been worth more than 25 cents today. And so that, that's the, that's the, the perspective and the worldview of my dad life is 90% work and 10% play. And he tried really hard to, to bring more opportunity experience and joy into our family um, as we grew up. And um, I think also worked really hard in him, in himself to, to, to do something different. His childhood was tough. Um, in addition to just the conditions there, there was a lot of rigidity around, um, uh, how you could be, or couldn't be with, a, it sounds like a fair amount of, you know, violence and hurtful situations. It's hard to say, cause I wasn't there, but my dad says he wasn't loved and he didn't experience love or understand what love was until he met my mom. And even then it's been, I think it's been hard for him to kind of have and experience that. And the story of his siblings are all different. You know, there are 10 different people who had 10 different experiences growing up in the same home. And there's, you know, every family has its stories, but um, the whole point being that my dad is a big part of who, who I am. And I think for so much of my, my life, I've been fighting against his position. I wanted to prove it wrong. And I wanted to say life is not 90% work and 10% play life is, you know, I wanted the opposite ratio. It was like life is 90% play and 10% work. And I was living that truth for sure until probably my late twenties, right around, I turned 30 and got married. Um, and I, I worked seasonally. I took jobs that I loved out of mission or interest or curiosity. Um, it allowed me to travel and go to really cool places and meet really interesting people and pursue things I was really interested and passionate about. Um, and on the earnings end, it was like 10%, right? Like I didn't make very much money. I was actually in debt for quite a while. From paying for like, oh, I'll just put this plane ticket on the credit card. And I don't really know when I'm going to have a job to pay that off again later. That was how I ran my life when I was 24 years old. Um, it was great. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sta- the stability that me as a 40 year old with two children and a partner that we want and need today. And so I've been thinking a little bit lately about that adage, 90% work and 10% play. And is that my life today? I still don't think that I match my dad's picture for what the world can be. And he's always telling me that it's really sweet. He's always telling me that I'm doing really well. And he's so proud of me for, um, being the mom and the parent, um, that I am. Um, but I'm seeing also now how life is different than I thought it would be. It's not this, um, like I really wanted it to be a fantastical journey all the time. And there's this part of me that's like, it still can be though, Ellen, you just haven't figured out the perfect life hack yet. And I think that the illusion exists that it's possible because um, today we have these really fantastic 
Instagram accounts that you can follow where this family is homeschooling on the road and having tons of adventures, or this couple decided to become digital nomads and like live their best life everywhere. But what you don't see is the uncertainty of of what can happen when there's instability or when there's constant change. And I'm not going to lie. That probably works really well for some people anyway, and they are living their best life. And I think that it's amazing. And I'm so glad that they're doing it and that it's a model for an inspiration. But what I'm also saying is if you're trying to get from one place feeling maybe very kind of stuck or in the muck or rigid and trying to get to that sense of like liberation and freedom that's so frequently portrayed in social media, you're just going to, you're just going to like actually kind of create more of a resistance to you being able to move forward um, and get, and get locked into like the 90% work and 10% play where I can only go on vacation still a couple of weeks out of the year, even if work is shifting. And at least I'm working from home now because I don't have to go into a physical building because my business changed or however, right. Um, there's still a lot of stuff to navigate and manage, particularly if you have the responsibility of also raising children while you're navigating your life. I've just been thinking about that a lot. And it made me think of the phrase also just that are we lost at all? Or was I, or those of us who want something to be more like 90% play and 10% work, are we lost with the knowledge that it's been taken from us, right? Because things are pretty tough in a lot of places. Um, prices are definitely higher. Uh, wages haven't increased in comparison to housing costs in a lot of parts of the country. Um, I've noticed how much their grocery bill is lately. Um, I'm very fortunate that we can handle um, most of these impacts, but they'll, they'll, they'll bear out in the long run if, you know, we don't cut back on something. Right. And so trying to make bigger decisions that might be more costly for many, many, many people is something that everyone's weighing, um, uh, strongly right now. And it's kind of putting it down like nose to the grindstone. What else do I need to work to ensure my, my stability? And it can create like an energy of, feeling uncertain and feeling scared and then rooting into doing like the work and just work, 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 focus, 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 don't give up. And we can get kind of burned out in that area. And so this is very wandering. I wanted to talk about the idea of um, resigning yourself to something versus allowing it to be what it is and the energy of how we are in those two things, even though they look similar, and I'll explain that more in a bit, can really help us um, be in a place where we have the energy and vitality to be in more levity as we go through sort of the slog or to be locked into this narrative that everything is hard, life is hard, it's not fair. This is just what it is, which is more of like a resignation kind of viewpoint. And so when I want to say that they look similar, so to be resigned to something or to allow something to be what it is, they both look on the surface of just going, hmm, here it is. This is the situation. And like knowing that in the moment you can't change it or that you're not going to change it. So they look really similar, but the energy of resignation is giving up. It is uh, you being in resistance to what is 
perpetuating it even further into your experience. I'll say that again. When you're in like resignation to the situation, oh, I can't change it. This is just what it is. Like, I can't have a, I can't have this. Um, I don't know any insert, whatever the thing is that you want. I can't have it. I, I give up. Right. That's resignation. You've just decided to accept that it's not possible, that it's not real. And so the energy of it is like non-havingness. And, um, when you decide that it's actually anchored in, in your resistance to it being real that it doesn't feel good. You don't like it, but you can't change it. So you're just going to accept it. You're resigned. And what that actually does like on an experiential level is keep it persistent in your experience because you've anchored in and you've anchored it in as your reality. That is the truth you've decided and you are resigned to it. You've accepted it and you've decided you can't do anything about it. So the other way that you can look at something that is a this exact same challenging situation, like, oh, I don't have blah, blah, blah yet. Right. And it's just noticing the current condition, what's outside of you and just going, oh, that's not here at the moment. That thing that I want. Do you feel how different that is? There's movement available in that space. The yet at the end of it, allows for the possibility for the something, no matter how improbable it might be to arrive and for you to have. And most of us are really afraid that the thing will never arrive. And so we resign ourselves to the not having of it, which anchors us into this place of keeping not havingness in our experience for longer. But when we let go of the fear of whether or not it will ever come. And we just go, oh, interesting. That isn't here right now. We don't anchor ourselves to the reality never changing. We allow it to just be what it is in the moment. And maybe, right, because we haven't locked it down where it's at at the moment, it'll still shift into a way that's more favorable for us and often will happen because you haven't blocked yourself off from having it. It's really nuanced. I know because it looks the same on the surface. Your neighbor has decided what neighbor a has decided they're resigned. Neighbor two has decided that it's just not current in their experience at the moment, but neighbor one is like never going to get the car running again or whatever the deal was. The car is a junker and neighbor two suddenly has another neighbor who remembers that they had a problem with their vehicle and they show up one day and they say, Hey, I got some time and these tools. And I had this random spare part in my garage. You want to work on your car together and figure it out. Neighbor two is like, cool. The thing is now in my experience. Right. And like, it sounds magical, but it's real because our attitudes and the energy of how we think about things and how we are able to give ourselves permission to have something that hasn't happened yet gives us more ability to create in our lives, even if everything looks at the moment like 90% work and 10% play. And so I have noticed in my life that it kind of fluctuates based on like many of the things that are going on, right? Like um, I've got young kids and my husband's a full-time student. Yeah. My life then was 90% work and like 
8% diapers and 2% play, right? It was just, it was really intense. Um, and that was my life for a few years. And then um, things have shifted to where my husband finished school. His income is able to provide the majority of things that our family needs. I was able to start my own business to be a coach and also to be so much more present for my children and to do homeschooling during the pandemic. We're still homeschooling now as we're kind of researching what our options are going to be for the following year because stuff is changing. And um, I'm still able to work with clients and I've been able to learn new skills and it's been amazing. And so it's shifted. I've been able to be into like 60% work and 40% play. And our financial situation has remained consistently stable. And it's about the way I feel that we've been fortunate is to, to always know that impossible I shouldn't say impossible because there are some things like I will never learn how to fly without, you know, an aircraft like that's it's impossible for humans to fly. That's fine. But um, that the unbelievable is believable because we do as humans unbelievable things all the time. And so we say that, oh, my God, it's so unbelievable. But it's like, no, it's like it happened. Let's validate and own that the experience of the really spectacular, cool, phenomenal thing happened. Right. Allowing space for the phenomenal, for the amazing. And then also just for the really boring and mundane, but super helpful. Like you've been allowing space for a neighbor to show up with a cup of coffee to ask for a chat on your front porch when you've been maybe feeling lonely for the past couple of weeks and it happens. And then it's just this really beautiful, simple connection. That's not anything really extra out of the ordinary, but so helpful because there was space for it for in your experience, like, because that there was that openness, somebody probably noticed that it was time to come say hello versus if you're shut down, closed off, never make eye contact and just have resigned yourself to thinking that, you know, I'm just going to be lonely. There's no one who wants to come talk to me. That's that, that is sending the signal of like, that is what is real for you. And people will respond accordingly to that as well. And it'll perpetuate itself, even though it's painful and undesired. Right. So we have to be willing to put ourselves out on the line a little bit for the unbelievable to happen or for the thing that isn't in our experience yet to happen, to allow yet to be a really magical word that we use when something isn't working out the way we want to, just yet, right? Yet has hope in it, yet has the ability to change, yet has probability and possibility inside of it, yet allows the mantra of 90% work and 10% play to shift into something different And for it to shift and adjust continuously, because we're always going to be striving for something. We are always going to be wanting. Like humanity is here in our lived experience collectively because of some kind of wantingness, right? We want love. We want affection. We want attention. We want to share. We want to give human. Like we are 7 billion souls on this planet doing so many different things, yet all fundamentally, for the most part, 99.9999999% wanting connection, wanting to do good for self and others, wanting to heal, 
wanting to fix and correct and wanting to make things just a tiny bit better. And I think that is, I just think that's amazing. And we get lost in so much of the other stuff, the striving and the not havingness that we, we forget that we are really powerful, really creative, and we can change the trajectory of our lives with just a little bit of tweaking of how we've been thinking about things if we're ready. So I challenge you to think about one or two things in your life that have been really hard and that you don't like and you want to change. First, assess how scared you are of having it. A lot of people don't want to change because figuring out the thing that they want and having it would upend their lives. We're very good at getting comfortable in whatever is happening also. Like, See how much your fear of having the thing is keeping the thing you want away from you because it's locked in a fear-based kind of energy, right? And start to work on that and chip away at it if that's something you want to be working on because you'd actually really like to have a better job or you really like to have a better relationship with your partner. You'd like to have a partner with whom you can have a good relationship with, There's so much that we can change when we identify where our fear is holding something away. The other thing I would want you to do, if you're going to try this out, is also just to start putting the word yet at the end of anything that you don't have in your experience at the moment. And maybe that can help to chip away at the fear a little bit as well, because it gives you a little bit of time to prepare yourself for the arrival of something unexpected that that might not change your life drastically because it might just be a neighbor dropping by to see if you want to have a cup of coffee together, right? Or it could be something really monumental that lands into your experience and feels unbelievable and miraculous, but is actually believable because, I mean, like, go read all the miracle stories of things that happen to people on the planet, right? There is so much that is possible if we can suspend the anchoring of our disbelief and put it into believing that those things can happen and that they can happen to us, the things that we desire. All right. That was quite long and rambly. My thoughts for today. Um, Let me know if you enjoyed it. Leave a comment. Um, If you've been listening to the podcast for a little while and you haven't done it yet, please give us a five-star rating and um, share it with a friend. If anything here that you've listened to has been interesting or helpful for you. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.